0: Bob here again. In this quick Bible blurb, I think it's going to be quick, you never know with me, I'm going to talk about how believers seriously abuse the love word. Now right out of the gates, I need to encourage you feely, huggy believers to turn off your emotion button while listening to this podcast and listen to what I share with your brains instead of your heart. I believe a lot of God's children have deceived themselves into thinking that just because they have these warm, mushy feelings for the Lord that he must feel the same way about them brethren this might shock you but simply having warm mushy feelings for the lord is no guarantee that our heavenly father also has warm mushy feelings for us we have all heard it a thousand times god is all about love or god's love lasts forever or god's love will see us through i'm sure these words sound familiar to most of us and i say god's love will see us through what 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 does that even mean, God's love will see us through? See us through ignoring his commandments? Will he see us through as we're in an adulterous relationship that we're not supposed to be involved in? You think he's going to see a believer through his or her decision to divorce their spouse simply because the state allows them to? Is the Lord going to see a spineless, cowardly shepherd through all the things that he's not doing, that he should be doing for the Lord that would please him? I'll be honest with you, brethren. God's love for his children has nothing to do with seeing his children through anything. Now, maybe you weren't aware that the Bible teaches that the Lord chooses to have a more intimate involvement or relationship with those children of his who he deems to be faithful. Yes, the Lord loves all his children, but the Bible is clear. Our Heavenly Father has a deeper love or a more intimate love for his faithful children. Sorry if what I just said hurt your ego, but that's a biblical fact. The good Lord's love range for his children is not much different than it is for Christian parents. If you have children who love to obey you and learn from you and are are good workers and good at school and and like to be around you, you'll have a much better love relationship with them than you will with the snotty, lazy, whiny, rebellious child. That's a no-brainer, isn't it? Now, I'm not going to go into a lengthy diatrobe explaining all the Greek definitions for the one English word "love" that we read in our scriptures. See, that's the problem. We read the word, the one English word "love," and and we we associate it with warm, kissy, huggy feelings. But in the Bible, there's different Greek words for the word "love," and they have different meanings. Now, ninety-nine percent of the time in the New Testament scriptures, when we read our English word "love," it's the Greek word agapeo, which is an action, or obedient or show me that you love me kind of love, and not a feely, kissy, huggy type love that most Americans think of when they hear the word love. Agapeo love is, again, show me that you love me by what you do for me type of love, and not show me that you love me by how you feel about me type of love. For God so loved the world is agapeo love. God was showing the world how much he loved us by dying for us. When those firemen and policemen went up those stairs of the Twin Towers, In an attempt to rescue people who they didn't even know, they were expressing agapeo love. The Greek word for phileo love is phileo love. Titus 3.15 All who are here greet you. Greet those who love us in the Lord. That word there is phileo love. This phileo love is very seldom found in the scriptures. Here's a little side note. This is why it's important to either have a Bible computer program with the Greek and Hebrew dictionaries built into it or own your own hardcover of a Greek and Hebrew Bible dictionary so that you can get the true meaning of those English words that you're reading. And one more thing about our English word love. Every place you read the Lord telling his followers, if you love me, or words like that, then you will be showing me that you love me. That's agapeo love. It's an obedient love. He's saying, if you really love me, you're going to do what I tell you. In fact, Christ shared it all the time. It says in John fourteen fifteen again, this is Christ speaking, if, he says, if you truly love me, then you will show me that you love me by keeping my commandments. John 14, 23, Yeshua Christ answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, then they will show me that they love me by keeping my word. John fifteen ten. if you keep my commandments, then you will abide in my love. John fourteen twenty four. those believers who do not really love me, even when they say they love me, do not really love me if they don't keep my words. Now, I paraphrase that, but it's, that's exactly what Christ was sharing. All the love words in these verses are agapeo love, which is a show-me, just-don't-tell-me type of love. Christ is clear on what it takes to bring God's people into a close, intimate friendship with him, sincere obedience to his teachings, sincere obedience to his commandments, sincere obedience to his words. John 15:14, great verses. A lot of people abuse this idea that everybody who's a believer is a friend of Christ. That's not what the Bible teaches. Christ said, John 15, 14, You are my friends if you do what I command you. God's friendship with his people is conditional. Christ never tells believers that the way to show him that we love him is to only have warm, mushy feelings for him. It is not a sin to have warm, mushy feelings for the Lord, unless that is the only way you are expressing your love for God. Americans consider that type of mushy, kissy, huggy love romantic love. So agapeo and phileo are the main Greek words used for love in the New Testament. Agapeo love, which is a type of love expressed or revealed by doing what's best for someone, even many times when they don't like it. When you're sharing agapeo love with somebody, you're telling them something they need to hear not want to hear. Let's face it, there's not too many believers who want to be confronted out of love because of a sin situation you're involved in. okay? But agapeo love means you care enough about a brother or sister in Lord that you're going to approach them and expose that sin for their well-being. They're not going to like that right away. That's why speaking the truth in love is very seldom seen as love by the one being spoken to. I believe way too many parents think that they are loving their children when they give them everything they want instead of doing what's best for them. This world is full of people with good intentions who are using the wrong kind of love with drug addicts or drunkards when they make it easier for them to get more drugs or to get more alcohol or to give them money to get more alcohol or give them needles so that they can safely use illegal drugs. The absolute best form of love that can be used on any drug addict or drunk is just to tell them no when they ask you for money or when they beg for more drugs or booze even when they're crying out in despair as they're going through withdrawals. Many in today's soft snowflakey world have a skewed view of what true helping love entails. And that skewed view of biblical love is even prevalent in the church. Many shout out from the pews, Christians should be all about warm fuzzy love. Mistakenly believing that true Christian love should always be expressed through warm and gentle fuzzy feelings and never about harshly confronting people with the truth. Acts 15 verses 1 through 2. While Paul and Barnabas were at Antioch of Syria, some men from Judea arrived and began to teach the believers, unless you are circumcised as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. Paul and Barnabas got into a heated discussion with them, arguing vehemently against what they were teaching, to which I say enough with all the mushy girly man's love that's prevalent in today's churches. Many Christian shepherds need to grow up here and get back to boldly and defiantly contending for the faith. Now, is there a time and place for soft, gentle love? Absolutely, but not every time. If you go through the Gospels with Christ, he never put his arm around anybody and gave them a hug and said, Oh, you're having a bad day. Uh, Let's talk about this. It was always bam, 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 speaking the truth, speaking the truth, speaking the truth, confronting, rebuking, speaking the truth in love. He was kneeling them Pharisees and Sadducees between the eyes with harsh words. He was was kneeling his followers with harsh, direct love. The Bible says that the kisses of an enemy are deceitful, but the wounds of a friend are a blessing. It's going to hurt to hear the truth, brethren. It's going to hurt. We're not going to like it. We're not going to accept it well. So we need to, again, quit being so thin-skinned and understand that when we're confronted about a sinful situation or a bad teaching we have or an incorrect way that we responded to something, we need to just accept it, grow up and mature, and do the right thing. Brethren, join biblical love to believers or unbelievers does not involve a Christian turning into a spineless jellyfish every time someone challenges our biblical beliefs. In the days when Christian men and women had spiritual backbones, they suffered and died terribly because they were willing to defend the faith unto death. Sadly, many believers are only willing to speak out boldly for the Lord when they're in the warm, cozy, safe confines of their local church building. The generation of adults and and parents who were around when I was a young boy in the early 60s had it right because they were great at telling kids, drunks, drug addicts, thieves, cheats, And sexually immoral people? No, I'm not okay with what you're doing. And no, I have no intention of supporting your illegal or immoral behaviors. Brethren, just because God loves his children, that doesn't mean that he overlooks the lackadaisical, lukewarm, worldly behavior that a lot of his children have these days. Even when a believer confesses their sin and repents, which is the pathway to forgiveness, it still takes the precious blood of Christ to complete that sin cleansing process. I mention that because I want believers to understand that when we mess up or screw up or have a lukewarm attitude about serving our Savior or serving our Heavenly Father, He doesn't just slap us on the back and say, oh, that's okay, we'll get over it. No, what He does is you have to take that sinfulness, that laziness, that disobedience, and you need to confess, repent, and get cleansed by the blood of Christ. Even as unbeliever, we have to still deal with our wicked, evil, disobedient behaviors with the blood of Christ. And I share that because just because the Lord loves his children, it doesn't mean that there's still not a serious consequence for their choosing to sin. God's love for his kids isn't going to overlook the sins of adultery or cheating or stealing or whatever. There's a whole list of things, Uh, being disobedient, being rebellious, all those things that are a sin in God's eyes. God's not going to overlook them because he loves us. We still have to go to the throne of grace and seek the blood of Christ to get cleansed. So it's a serious matter when we choose to live a life that's not pleasing to our Heavenly Father, even when He loves us. Let me just share a quick scenario here to better explain how God's love for His children works in our lives. It says, you know, I have three sons. I love them very much. And if one of my sons chooses to murder somebody, he needs to pay the penalty for that murder. My love for my son will not keep him out of jail. I could plead with the judge all during the trial, telling the judge how much I love my son. I don't want him to go to jail. The judge is going to keep telling me that's great that you love your son. However, just because you love your son, that doesn't mean that he's not going to jail or worse. Brethren, God's love for his children will not excuse away his children's free will choice to disobey him. Although, because he's a loving father, he will try for a while to force, quote, quote, force his rebellious disobedient children back onto the right path through discipline, knowing that the wrong path that we're presently on, if we're sinning, will cause pain and sorrow. But please, please, please understand that our Heavenly Father will only graciously do that for a limited time. If we continue to resist his discipline, which is a form of love, he will stop trying to correct us, even though he still loves us, because he is also holy and just. In fact, on rare occasions, the Lord chooses to use one of his unrepentant children as an object lesson for the rest of us. I believe that's exactly what he did when he took out, i.e. killed, Ananias and Sapphira simply for lying. That's right. I believe the good Lord took out Ananias and Sapphira for our good. The Bible tells us that a good, healthy spiritual fear enveloped the entire church after they witnessed or heard about what had happened and why it had happened to Ananias and Sapphira. And contrary to what the song says, God's love for his children does not mean that he will see us through, or carry us through, or rescue us from the wrong things we choose to do. The Bible verse that tells believers that the wages of sin is death is just as applicable today in the church as it was in Paul's day. You need to wrap your head around the fact that just because God loves his children... That does not mean he will overlook his children's rebelliousness. You need to stop thinking that because God loves us. He puts some kind of supernatural force field around us so that nothing bad can happen to us. The believers in the early church didn't think that way, especially the fleshly, worldly, disobedient believers. If you go through the book of Corinthians, I don't think there's a single chapter where the Apostle Paul doesn't rebuke them for some sin they're involved in. In fact, it tells us in 1 Corinthians 11 that the sin got so bad that they were just like wallowing in it during their fellowship time, and the Lord had to take some of them believers out. And some of those believers were sick and ailing because of their sin of drunkenness and gluttony. And also in the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 5, there was a man in that church who was living in sin with his stepmother. No, it wasn't a sin for this man to have an intimate relationship with with the female who used to be his stepmother. I mean, she might have been younger than him. We don't know the scenario back then. The problem was is that this man was not married to this woman. For all we know, this woman was married already committing adultery, and he was married already committing adultery. Whatever the situation was, it was immoral. And you know what the Apostle Paul did? He decided to hand this believer over to Satan so Satan could pound on this believer. Yeah, that's God's love too. I mean, we don't see that, but we don't accept that a lot of times, but that's God's love as he tries to get this disobedient, rebellious, immoral child back in line with his biblical truths. Now, let me just put some of your minds at ease. You know, if you're a child of God who is genuinely and sincerely trying to walk in a manner which pleases the Lord, even though you will occasionally stumble in sin, you need not fear that the Lord will would be so upset with you that he would permanently harden your heart and mind and bring you home early. On the other hand, if you are a believer who doesn't care that you're wallowing in unrepentant sin, or you don't care that you're disobedient God's word, or if you don't care if you're not teaching God's word accurately when you know it, I would be fearful of the fact that the Lord might choose to call you home early, i.e. punish you unto death, in order to severely rebuke you to your face. I promise you that in eternity God's love for a rebellious child who died prematurely because of unrepentant sin is not going to get a nice warm handshake and a hug when he gets to the other side. Now when a believer gets to the other side, even if they die as a carnal believer, they're gonna get a new body and they're gonna they're gonna see they're gonna be so shameful of themselves, so disappointed, they're gonna see all the times their loving father tried to do the right thing for them and they ignored it. They're gonna see how their Their love for him was very cold, very hard-hearted, and they didn't really care about him as much as they said they did. That carnal believer who died in his sin is going to have a new body, and he's going to see how genuine the love of the Father was for him, and he's also going to see how unloving he was for a God who hung on nails and died for him. Now let me get back on a topic about love again. I I could list 50 love cliches or cute love quotes or pious-sounding but unbiblical worship songs where the word love is misused by God's people. Now, again, I want to reiterate before you send me all kinds of hateful emails telling me how how cold I am, how, how mean I am. I'm quite aware that God is love. But again, God is also holy and just. I believe that the Lord loved Adam and Eve as he was kicking them out of paradise. And I believe that the Lord loved all those people who were about to die in the flood. And I'm sure that the Lord loved those people who he rescued out of Egypt even though he ended up punishing unto death all the adult believers except Caleb and Joshua because they were grumbling or rebellious or disobedient. The premature death of all these Old Testament children of God is a clear illustration that God's love for his children does not override his justness and his holiness. Now in closing here, I just want to close up about worship songs. Music can be a beautiful thing. However, the words in a song are more important than the music itself. Words relay meanings. And I personally believe that far too many believers today allow themselves to drift off into an imaginary spiritual la-la land because they listen and take to heart many of the unbiblical words and many of today's unbiblical worship songs. I can hear it already. They're saying, Brother Bob's going after our worship songs now. Only the bad ones. Be honest, brethren, music, and especially musical w- songs with words, have a way of sticking in our brains for years and years and years. I find it amazing that I can accurately sing along to a popular song that I haven't heard or in 20 or 30 years, like I've been practicing it every day. Can I get an amen on that? Even though I haven't watched Green Acres, Beverly Hillbillies, or Gilligan's Island in over 50 years, I can still sing every word in them theme songs from those shows, again, like I've been practicing that every night. And yet, trying to remember the great sermon that Pastor So-and-So gave three weeks ago is nearly impossible, unless I take notes. Now, I took you on this rabbit trail because a lot of believers know the words of a lot of worship songs. It's easier to pull them words from those worship songs out of our mind because music just works that way. But the problem is, is that if the words in those worship songs are unbiblical, we're going to be repeating and remembering and singing stuff that we think is of the Lord, and it's not. Again, I would encourage you, listen to the words that are being sung in those worship songs. Many of them are very pious sounding, but they're unbiblical. Remember, our Heavenly Father is an author of truth. That means he wants to be worshipped with truth. Remember what the Bible says, we have to worship him in spirit and truth. We have to worship him in spirit and truth. It's not a suggestion, it's a fact. And I believe that many of God's people are being dishonoring to God, not purposely, but they're still doing it unintentionally when they sing these worship songs that are full of unbiblical words or promises that are not from the Lord. Now again, I bring up worship songs as an example of the love word being abused because a lot of times those worship songs are full of the love word, but they're, they use promises in them songs that have nothing to do with biblical truth. I mean, just a couple quick ones here. It says, uh, here's just a small example. God's love never fails. Yeah, and so what's the point of that? God's love will never walk out on me, okay? Well, usually the problem isn't the Lord, it's us. We're the ones who walk out on the Lord, but God's love is not going to keep me from walking out on him. Here's another title. God's love will always be there. Duh. I guess so. Here's one God's love is unending. Here's another like a no brainer. No kidding. What's God's unending love got to do with my lukewarm or lackadaisical or disobedient or rebellious walk with Him? Here's another one God's love is powerful. Really? How powerful is it? Is it so powerful that He's going to overlook our sin or overlook our disobedience? Does God's powerful love override His holiness and justness? No, it doesn't. Brethren, what's the relevance of the fact that God's love never fails? God's love will never fail doing what? What is the first thought in your mind when you sing the words, God's love never fails? It makes me think that no matter what I'm doing, good or bad, God will use his love for me to stop me from sinning, doing bad stuff, overlook my bad stuff. Again, I don't think so. So it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1, it says, I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. All of them were guided by the cloud that moved ahead of them, and all of them walked through the sea. In the cloud and in the sea, all of them were baptized as followers of Moses. All of them ate the same spiritual food. All of them drank the same spiritual water. For they drank from the spiritual rock that traveled with them, and that rock was Christ." But yet God was not pleased with most of them, and their dead bodies were scattered throughout the wilderness. If you understand what I just read, you would have noticed that God's love for his children will not keep them from choosing to live rebelliously unrepented lives. And if you understand what I just read, you would have heard that God's love for his children will not keep them from suffering the consequences of unrepentant sin. So what does God's love never fail have to do with his children choosing to commit sin? Does the Lord overlook my sins because he just loves me so much? Not a chance. And yet, week after week throughout this country, believers sing the love words in this song, God's Love Never Fails, not really understanding how God's love for his children actually works. Here's one more song. God's Love Will Always Be There. Are you singing this thing thinking that because God's love will always be there, he will never allow anything bad to happen to us? What are you thinking? This song, like a lot of songs, I think believers are thinking... Well, because God loves me, he's going to overlook stuff in my life. That's just not how it works. You know, I'm sure those Corinthian believers believed that God was always there as they were wallowing in the unrepentant sins of drunkenness, immorality, and gluttony. And God was there watching. And these Corinthian, carnal Corinthian believers suffered severely, even though I'm sure they sang these beautiful songs at their worship times. And I I believe as those Jews came out of Egypt and marched through the desert. They probably sang some beautiful worship songs to the Lord, and yet they grumbled and whined and complained and ended up paying severely for their rebellious attitude. Brethren, God's love for his children doesn't turn him into a Santa Claus God who just has this jolly ho-ho-ho laugh all day long. God's love is conditional. If you want to be blessed by the Lord, you want to have a close personal relationship with him, then you need to be walking in a manner that pleases him. You want the Lord to be proud of you and to be a, a have him see you as a pleasing child? Do what it says, Second Corinthians 6. It says, come out, separate. Don't be bound together with unbelievers. And then I'll see you as a son or daughter who I'm really pleased with. Again, love is good. The Bible says love does not take into account a wrong done to you. I mean, it's good to have a loving, compassionate heart, but we can't let those feely, kissy, huggy, mushy feelings be the things that are directing and leading our spiritual life. And God's people need to stop listening a lot less to their mushy, kissy, huggy heartstrings when determining what the love of God is and how it really works. I also believe that many of God's people need to stop listening a lot less to their mushy, easily swayed, and manipulated heartstrings when deciding just what it is they need to do to show the Lord that they love him completely. Brethren, if you're going to love on God completely the way he desires to be loved on, believers must learn what commandments and teachings in the scriptures please the Lord and then obey them. I promise you that if you see the importance of not only loving on the Lord with our feelings, but also with our obedience to his commandments, the ones he gave us for the church days, it will put a smile on his face. John 14, again, Christ said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love them, and we will come to them, and we will make our abode with them. Those who don't love me do not keep my word. Brethren, keep those warm, mushy feelings for the Lord, but don't let those warm, mushy feelings blind blind you to what the Lord wants you to do logically and faithfully. You need to know what his Bible says. You need to follow the teachings in the Scriptures, because if you let your emotions dictate your actions, You're going to be wrong every time, all right? The truth of God's word isn't based on what feels right or what seems right. It is based on what is right. And we have to separate those emotional feelings from biblical logic and choose to not only love the Lord with our heart, but with our mind. Your true friend in Christ, Brother Bob. Again, the only way to separate biblical truths from biblical lies is to know, i.e., study and learn your scriptures.